Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deeker. And I'm Rebecca Hines. And Lisa, tell us a little bit about what to expect in this episode. Yeah, so we're really excited. We have a great guest with us today that can talk about a lot of topics. We have with us Dr. Lindsay Massengel, who is an instructor of virtual tutor, and we have to thank her for being a military spouse and thank her husband for her service to this country. Uh, but Lindsay also is very open about having her own unique mobility challenges in life, and she's going to highlight some of those for us. So Becky, you want to start us off with a question? Welcome, Lindsay. We're glad you're here. <laughs> Hi, Lindsay. Hi, Becky. So um, I'm wondering, you know that I have a nephew with cerebral palsy, and um, he has significant mobility issues and, and lots of, you know, communications issues, et cetera. So, so as, as a family member, you know, it's always interesting to me to hear the stories of others and kind of the kinds of considerations as you navigate a world that wasn't necessarily designed for people with mobility differences. And I thought maybe you could share with us a little bit about what you've encountered along the way, both, both here in the United States, but I know you have an international background as well. Can you give us an idea of kind of navigating things in, in, in our society? Well, first and foremost, with my experience, I navigate with my eyes before I really go to navigate and I a lot of times I will go test out something before I actually have to engage in that area whether I'm by myself or with a trusted friend or family member in case I run into uh oh I need help um I in the United States it's pretty easy and I know how to use my voice to go hey this is a big access point for everyone no matter your ability where else can somebody get in the building for example there was a handicap access to a university i taught at but it was all the way on the side that i said yeah i don't want to use that access because it's too far mm -hmm. so i have learned to say, hey, I need to have access somewhere. Can you, one of the things growing up is during fire drills, which is a huge thing for me. Not only do I not like the noise, where am I going? Let's practice without any sound. Now I'm fine with it being a teacher. You're just used to it. And the school actually had a code where they'd kind of come and nod and say, and I'm like, why are you twitching? And then I realized, <laughs> she's nodding towards the alarm so i knew okay it's going to go off <laughs> prepare yourself so you can prepare your kids but when i was in middle school we realized that my exit for fire drills did not have a curb cut out mm -hmm. for me to safely cross the street mm -hmm. it took the entire year entire year for my family to realize to get them to cut out a curb cutout so I could safely do fire drills with my class because the fire department said let a child walk by themselves to go find the curb cutout and then circle back and find their class. Right. Not gonna work. And then but overseas. I've always had to have a buddy either with me or meet me there 
Now, as a child overseas, I had a one-on-one aide that actually lived with us. Once I got into the school environment, I knew where I was, and I crawled around before I learned how to walk. My teachers knew me, so I was pretty much okay, but she was there to help me navigate the halls and the stairways and everything like that because I couldn't do it independently. Now when I've traveled for trips, I've had a buddy with me be or meet me there because I could navigate the airport with wheelchairs, but what do I do to get out into the parking lot and the language barrier and I don't like it when somebody grabs when you're not falling. Right. It's just basically the language barrier, but really looking at how to get around and not only getting around, it's really understanding that third world third world countries see me as somebody who why are you even out in society? Mm-hmm. So there's a big difference just mm-hmm. in in not only in the the architecture and design for people with differences um Mm -hmm. there's a wide difference internationally but also um just just in terms of beliefs and understanding and inclusivity i'm sure yes yeah and so you you mentioned you know that you that idea of of using your eyes first to really to come up literally with a plan for 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 being mobile and -hmm. i think that's a great that's a great takeaway for teachers or parents is that idea you know the extra level of planning that that's needed and helping helping kids start to think about that. And that was not something that came up with just me. That was actually something I learned Becky in PT. They would set up different, let's just say obstacle courses, because a lot of things are obstacle courses to me that you might think are a walk in the park. (laughs) And then they'd say, okay, before you move around, how are you going to navigate? Tell me what you're going to do before you do it. That's awesome. Great suggestion. So one of the things I know is you've had some unique, as you said, um, being out in society looked at a little differently. Do you have any unique um, stories? Because one of the things I know about you, uh, you're a three-time UCF Knight, and we're very proud of that fact, having got your doctorate here. Uh, You don't lack for the ability to advocate. I, I would say that your parents created a... Ryan, um, for advocacy, uh, not only is that what you write about and you do, but what are some examples of times that you had, or maybe a couple personal examples of where you really used your advocacy skills, um, or you really were perceived differently and, and kind of used that as an opportunity of learning for you? Well, one of the things starting from the very, very beginning before I even realized that I was different because I was not raised as a different individual as we were. I don't remember which trip to Russia it was. My dad was only supposed to be there for two years, but then they couldn't find anybody to replace him. So they asked him to stay for two more. And yeah, that was fun. (laughs) Granted, I was really young. We were there between the ages, my ages of four and eight. But we were going through airport security at the time. My, I've never had a wheelchair. They had a gigantic mesh stroller for me. Um, just think stroller, but think huge. 
and we are going through the security checkpoint and the security officers say wheelchair coming through i don't realize they're talking about me right away so they do their whole thing we get to our gate mom said i say to mom what is a wheelchair <laughs> it was that moment that mom and dad had to explain to me as best that they could that hey i don't know the tools that i'm using because to me they are normal so to hear somebody use because we just called it a stroller and learning what is a wheelchair and that first exposure of yes you are different but we your family don't treat you any differently unless it's to help you succeed yeah and and that's who you are so that's kind of taking you not only through four to eight year olds but let's fast forward to today uh you are an advocate you do virtual tutoring you teach online what is your message to others that maybe aren't as comfortable with who they are because you may be the most comfortable person I've ever met in accepting your differences as a strength and as an asset. What is your advice to somebody else who's like, gosh, I don't, I don't know how to disclose or to advocate. What's, what's your suggestion to them? First and foremost, my suggestion is disclose when you feel that it is absolutely necessary. I look at it as a, as a need to know basis. Even the school that I taught out previously, my principal didn't know until I shook his hand. And then he literally goes, um, whoa. So it's a need to know, and it's also, I have to remind myself, it's a need to know for your own safety. Do they need to know because, okay, I'm going mountain climbing and I'm off balance and I'm gonna need help with something. Is it a need to know for your own safety and is it a need to know, let's just say, is it a need to know for your benefit? Right. And, and to benefit if, them. What if somebody were discriminating against you? That's something I know about you. Let's, let's take like the bus loop that doesn't work. Um, what, 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 is, what is your first step of, of action that you recommend people do? For discriminating? Yes. I would friendly conversation, say, hey, this is how you have made me feel. This is what I would, this is what I would rather you do. Because each, there's a society's eyes and the society's voice, but then there's the individual's voice. It is your instinct, but then it is your, the individual's preference. Like I know I've had some conversations with you that you've learned some different things of stepping in and helping and when and when not, but it, yes, help, but help when the individual is ready, unless there is immediate danger in the way. Well, I think uh, that's actually great, great advice. And um, to kind of start to transition into some areas that are actually your expertise and your interests, 
Um, I know that your your mom uh, actually wrote a book. Um, uh, my daughter taught me to walk, and I I believe that she she actually told some of the stories and some of the some of the struggles and you know different encounters that you've had along the way but let's kind of transition a little bit into your professional interest that interest of 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 literacy and writing and you know so tell maybe you could tie a little bit you know what did your mom's book mean to you um but you could also take it as a a work of of literature kind of Mm -hmm. tie, tie that together for us my mom's book was i did not know she wrote the book until it was almost finished because she had some questions for me they had every name that you used you had to get permission to use Mm -hmm. and reading through the book after it was published i learned a lot because i didn't realize i knew my parents fought for me but i didn't realize the advocacy that they did for me to get me to where i am today. So it was a learning experience for me. And it's also, I mention it to, I start mentioning it to really good friends that I know, because I want them to accept it for the stories that it is and not just read it as another book. And then they asked me questions about it because it sparks where we've been all over the world. Some, one of my friends has similar, has had similar stories to what's in it. So that was a really neat common ground with it. I, I learned a lot from it and my mom taught me actually how to write from the very, very, very young age. And I've fallen in love with writing ever since probably elementary school. I was always writing something. Well, and I think you've really taken that passion for writing and advocacy that's in your mom's book and kind of made it your professional career. Share with us advice of how families might use writing, whether their child has the ability to write, maybe they they need to use uh, speech to text, Um, How do you see writing as a way to advocate and to communicate for people with a range of needs, including those with cerebral palsy? I see writing as first and foremost an outlet. If you can't say it with your voice, write it down. I have always, one of the phrases I started using with my students is you always have a voice. In this classroom, your voice might be your voice, and your voice might be your pencil. Especially if you were taking a test and they wanted to raise their hand and shout out the answer. I said, nope, your pencil is your voice. (laughs) So you always have your voice, just what what is the modality of your voice? Write it down. I even tell my students to, I always, I'm not not paying attention to you, but I'm writing something down so I don't forget later on. Even to go as far as the most common is 
journaling, write something down so you remember to tell somebody, write something down to say, hey, this was a struggle today, but maybe in a week, you're like, wow, I've overcome this. Help, writing helps set goals and to proceed, to let you see where you are and where you're going. And as a classroom teacher, and this is kind of my last question, Becky, if you have any other wrap-up questions, as a classroom teacher, how do I give voice to kids who maybe are silent in both writing and in speaking in my classroom? What are, what are some of your tips, uh, practical tips to give kids a voice? I would say drawing is still a voice. I would say if they wanted to act something out. I had a specific student who could hear you if his hearing aids were in, but if he forgot his hearing aids, he'd mime for me. And I got used to understanding that there is always a way. I've had kids use different hand motions, even if it's not true sign language, you get to know your students. One of the teachers would tease me and say, you're proficient in Anthony because it was the name of the student. Because I got to, it's like getting to know your own children. You get to know how they interact and what they need and how they're trying to express it to you. So reading and writing, the actual acts that we think that they are, they can be done in a lot of different ways we just have to figure out what is that way that is what is that unique way for that student and lindsay as as we wrap up i'm just curious i know that um i know that that you have a phd i know you have experience in the classroom and i know you've lived a military wife um experience at this point but what's next what's next for you What's next is I am actually in the midst of getting ready to launch my own online website business that will let me be a listening ear or a voice and continue tutoring for others. It's called Journeying Through Learning. And it's not it my phrasing with it is let me meet you where you are and let's journey together so i am i want to be with whatever i'm doing it's always what do you want to do now i'm still thinking about it mm -hmm. um i always want to be that helpful hand that if i don't have the answer today let's team together and figure it out so I, I did say I was done, but I really do have one question I want to ask you now that I think about it. Sorry, and it really will be my last question, I promise. Um, what do you think it means when a kid walks in and sees your unique challenges? As you said, they can be hidden on camera, but when I walk in a room, mm -hmm. um, I see kind of some of the physical mobility challenges. What do you think that means to students when they see you as a teacher? I actually, Lisa, have a story to that one. Okay. I have, it was the end of the year, my last year at the school that I was previously at, and I said to the students, 
what was what is something you learned this year and i'm expecting them to say adding subtracting animals the typical first grade answers one of my students stood up and said dr massingale you taught us it is okay to be different I had to take a minute and go, whoa, that came from a first grader. But I think they see the difference, and yes, they're curious with it. I love all the questions. It's how you ask the question <laughs> depends on how I answer it and if I answer it. But their curiosity is necessary because I may be the only one they run into like this. I may be one of many that I want to be the role model for them and have them not be afraid of working with being around somebody who is different. Because in a way, we are all different, but what is your difference? Well, with that, I think I'll leave it at that. Uh, well said, as always, we're very excited that you're our colleague, our friend, and a role model for advocacy in the field. And we thank you for joining us on uh, Practical Access. Please post questions or comments on our Facebook page and send us a tweet at Access Practical. Thanks, Lindsay. Thank you.